Today's scripture is Acts 4, 1 through 22. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed. And the number of men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Anas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and the pe- of the people and elders, If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is a stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven among men by which you must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, They had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Indeed it is. Thank you. Uh, Live here, family here, grandkids here, but kind of travel all over the world. And I don't know if, if you thought very much about the standing for the reading of Scripture, but I just commend you as a church. Man, keep doing that. Um, This is the word of the Lord. The reading of it um, can change our lives. The believing of it will change the direction of our eternity and our lives. And uh, the obedience to it will live to a courageous life, not unlike in Acts chapter 4, where Peter and John come up against the rulers of the day. I was in Mongolia just a couple of years ago training a bunch of teachers in how to be young life leaders. Mongolia is a, a, a little large country with kind of most of the P 
people live in one city, Ulaanbaatar, and we were training about 200 teachers how to be young life leaders. They were already teachers. And at the end of the time, which was just really remarkable, their hunger for prayer, for truth, for loving teenagers already in the classroom, uh, we, we gave them a Bible uh, in their language. And that was just kind of part of the graduation. You did, you did the young life leadership training, and uh, the, the staff there had told us this would be a great idea. And I thought, oh, yeah, that's always a great idea, good idea, good idea. Um, and then I watched as the Bibles were handed out, and I just had the view of kind of the front row, and uh, every single teacher was, was doing this. And they were, they were doing this. And they were doing this. And they were doing this. And I was utterly humbled because um, they didn't have a Bible. They didn't have access to a Bible. They got a Bible. And this was uh, a love affair, an engagement of the mind, a treasure to be tenderly and wonderfully embraced. So when you stand for the reading of the Scripture or you read Scripture in your small group or you read Scripture in your family or you read Scripture in your daily quiet time, well, I, I hope you kind of you do this and you realize there are many people in the world that would die to have a Bible, that would die to be in a fellowship where it was read and honored and prayed and considered and allowed to transform us. Um, this, this is the, the way the, the Lord weaves us all together in the world. Is I, I, I'm, I'm thinking I own 10 Bibles, uh, different translations. And, and I, I'll walk and I kind of throw it on the desk. I don't really think about it. Um, I have a feeling these Mongolian brothers and sisters um, do not do that with their Bible. I, I think they carry it with them at all times. And that is the respect that it, it endeavors to us when we stand for the reading of the Scripture, going, oh, my gosh, we're in the presence of a holy family. We're in the presence of a holy God, and we're in the presence of his holy word, which has the power to transform us again and again and again. When we read Acts chapter 4, I really just want you to look for three things. And, and then I want to go backwards into those three things and kind of figure out, well, what is their source? And I, you know, I try to outline this, this chapter kind of like, well, here's power and here's courage and here's conviction. But the reality is in each of the sections, in each of the stories of this narrative, there's power and there is courage and there is conviction. Like this story is rippled with God's power. It is rippled with the conviction of Peter and John. It is rippled with their conviction about who Jesus is and his mission or calling for uh, their lives and ours. This is a very dramatic scene. When you think about it, they're with the same group that said, uh, crucify Jesus. They're, they're with that same group. And they're, they're brought before this group, and, and instead of trembling which is what, what you and I would have been doing, for, for sure I would have been doing, um, realizing what the, there's a decent chance that in this little trial here, which is mostly related to the growth of the early church and the healing of this 
crippled guy in Acts chapter 3, which Tom Schrader talked about last week. Again, showing the power of Christ, the conviction of his saints. And that's the context for this trial. And, and really, they hold the power to, you know what, let's, you know, we did it to Jesus, we can do it to them. Let's just take, let's take these guys, we got them, let's go to the Roman authorities, and let's, let's have a, a redo. Now, they, they had a little greater problem than they did with Jesus. At this point, there's this revival breaking out all over Jerusalem. And Acts chapter 4 says the revival has now grown to 5,000 men, which certainly means if we're counting women and younger people, we might have 10,000 people in a city that is really not all that big, and they are now going, Jesus died and Jesus rose. We saw it. Now we believe it. We've heard it from others. And now that becomes our courage and our power and our conviction. And here are two mouthpieces for all of that, Peter and John. And with all of Scripture, you you can always do this. You can go, oh, oh, good, good. This is great. I love that happened then. Um, I love that happened with them. Uh, But I'm neither Peter nor John, and I I don't live 2,000 years ago. I live in 2017, and here I am in my context. And so so I'm safe. That's good. Uh, (laughs) For church history, I love church history. Peter, John, go, go, go. Uh, But you know that's never true with Scripture. Scripture is always talking about historical context, the author, the Holy Spirit, the first audience to hear it, those who experienced it, but then, then its transposition is for us here today. And Tom mentioned it last week, that the theme of the book of Acts is, is said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You are to wait, and when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will have power. I want to talk about in a minute, to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. That's Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and it's kind of the theme of the whole book of Acts. And by the way, it's the theme of redemption peoria. Same thing. Wait, when the Holy Spirit comes on, you will, you will have power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, which might in your case be your neighborhood or your school or your place of work. Your Judea. Okay, well, that's probably your city or your zip code. Your Samaria, I promise you, this is the difficulty of Samaria. It's always, it, it, it is just, it, it's nearby, but it's uncomfortable. It's a people not like me. That Jesus is always calling us and always leading us. He, he never had to go through Samaria. He chose to go through Samaria. He was modeling what would be our mission. We are never to be comfortable in our Jerusalem and our Judea. That would be lofty. That would be good. But that would not be powerful. That would not be courageous. And he's, he's, he's not after a nice, average, safe tribe. He's trying to create a people, a tribe that would change the world. And Peter and John absolutely know that and hold that conviction. And and it is offered to us in our world in 2017. So you have to examine, where is my Samaria? And and, and I, I, I love it that Tyler is leading a deal on the refugee crisis. I literally texted him this morning and I said, I think you should change the name and call it the Refugee Opportunity. Because I'm telling you, for this group, these are ours. The refugees are ours. 
We don't, we don't have to read very far in Scripture to know, hey, that's on our watch. Those are our people, including them, making them feel welcome, reaching out to them, helping them know the name of Jesus. That's on our watch. You, you, can, you can subrogate some things to the government if you want to, yes or no. I, I have no politics about this. I have responsibility to it. That's my Samaria. By the way, that's in Phoenix. And you can pick an apartment complex. You can go near the airport. You can pick a grade school. You can pick a high school. But there are refugees here. And you know what they need? They need someone like you with power and conviction and courage to come and love them in the name of Christ and help them know him. Samaria. Samaria should always bother you a little bit, make you a little bit uncomfortable. Well, that's going to take me out of my comfort zone. That's going to take me out of this nice, safe place that I live. I mean, my life is hard enough, Marty. You have no idea how life, how, how life is for me, how hard it is right now. Yeah, I, I don't. I, I just know I don't want to live a nice, safe Christian life because I think that's a life that leads to a numb heart, dull eyes, and kind of a nice, safe cultural American life. That's just not the life that he intends for us. He's trying to create a people that take enemy territory. The word power, by the way, used over and over throughout the book of Acts in Acts chapter 1, a number of times here in Acts chapter 4, is mostly related to a Greek word that kind of the most literal translation would be dynamite. So wait on the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will have dynamite to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. What do you mean by that? Well, what does dynamite do? Number one, it's a little bit dangerous, and it has to be used with great wisdom. So if, if you pray for power, make sure you pray for wisdom because you're holding dynamite, the good news of the transforming of Jesus' life in yours. And he's inviting all of us to be involved in that type of power. Well, dynamite can clear a path. It can destroy barriers. It can blow stuff up. If used well, it creates a way forward for others. Just think about this. You go and you start giving a soccer ball, some food, some tennis shoes to an apartment complex that are filled with refugees, and you start learning names, and you just start loving people in that apartment complex. And they're going to go, what are you doing here? Well, I just want you to know you're welcome in our city. I I go to Redemption Church in Peoria. If you'd ever want to come with me, I'll come and pick you up. We talked about Jesus there. Ah, you're a Christian. Well, tell me what you mean by that. I've learned this is a trick question around the world many times. I I don't really know what to do with this, by the way. I, I think it's not a great term in the United States, but you have to figure out what to do with that because I I still honor the term. But I was asking this kid, we were in Jerusalem, he goes to a Muslim school, we're trying to figure out how to start young life there, and he walks right up to me and he goes, where are you from? I'm from uh, Phoenix, Arizona. He doesn't know where that is. Oh, America, I can read that on his face. Um, and, And he goes, are you a Christian? Now I've learned that's a trick question around the world. I go, well, Tell me what that is then. What's your definition of a Christian? He goes, well, it means you hate me. You're trying to kill me. Chilly wind. (laughs) Uh, First time I've ever said it. Well, then uh, uh, by that definition, I'm not a Christian. And he goes, what are you? Uh, I, I follow Jesus. 
And here's the, here's the ironic thing. He said, oh, I, I'd like to know more about that. I just offer that. I, I don't know what you do with that in Phoenix, Arizona in 2017. That maybe with your neighborhood, that term is the term that's getting in the way. And a better term, a better, a better life would be I'm a follower of Jesus. Because it helps me pay attention to that is not politics or nationality. But that is a Savior and a Lord whom we follow. And there's nothing safe about following Jesus. Because he's given us dynamite. In fact, he's the dynamite. You will have power. Have you ever prayed for power? I'm going to propose to you from Acts chapter 4, you should pray for power. Lord, I want a powerful life. Now, I know no one could pray this to Jesus with pride. You could only pray it with a little fear, a little trembling, and, Lord, this power will be for you and will be for service. Because the world's form of power is to pray for power, get it, and then do powerful things. And Jesus' power is the power to serve, the power to love, the power to go to the Sumerian and to love them and to give them hope and to include them. This is the radical nature of Jesus' form of power. It's a power to serve, a power to love, a power to forgive, and a power, just think about this, how stunning this is. His intention is to make us a people that can forgive our enemy. I have a hard time forgiving my friends. You're going to make me someone who forgives my enemy? Lord, this is going to take... A thousand miracles. It's going to take all of your power. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. It's going to take all my life. So far. Still learning how to forgive my enemy. But just think of how powerful that is. When when you meet someone who who forgives their enemy, you go, whoa, 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 whoa. What, What motivates you? And we see it here in the power and in the courage of Peter and John. Remember, what's gotten them into hot water was they see this beggar who is crippled uh, outside the temple, and they heal him in the power of Jesus' name. And that, that's what's caused all of this turmoil in the city of Jerusalem. While they were still talking to the priests, the captain of the temple guard, the Sadducees, Move towards them. By the way, I'm reading out of the Phillips version. Uh, This uh, is uh, kind of, for me, a second treasured copy of the first Bible that I was given in the first Young Life Club that I walked into in 1969 when I met the Lord. Got invited by a cute girl. Didn't really care what Young Life was. She was cute. Walked in, was treated like a rock star. People knew my name. Uh, They clearly wanted me to be there. We sang, we laughed, and then a guy got up and he opened up a cookbook. I go, this is a weird, weird group of people. He's going to read from a cookbook. This is the J.B. Phillips New Testament in modern English, done to help reach young people in the U.K. in the 1950s. Um, Still, honestly, my favorite Bible to read. 
It looks like a cookbook. And in some ways, it is. A recipe for the transformation of your heart and your mind and your actions and the transformation of a people that bind together to be a blessing to the city. Stunning. Like if, if, you, if you're new to church and this kind of like the first time you've been to Redemption Peoria, man, you are welcome here. But you know what this group wants to do? Transform the city. I've joined an army of people by the power of Christ's love in us that endeavor to change the city. This is a, not a Sunday morning meeting group. This is an army of people endeavoring to be transformed, to be transformed, and to be transformers. Stunning that God would allow us to be involved in that kind of work. But do not miss it. The nice, safe, average Christian life is pretty dull, pretty boring, and pretty disconnected from the way the human heart is made to live. And that's what we get from Peter and John. Where did they they get this? They're in front of the temple guard. They arrested them. Since it was now evening, they kept them in custody. And then Dr. Luke... who's who's writing the the actions of the apostles, the actions of the Holy Spirit to launch this tribe, which is, this is the beginning history of this tribe of world transformers, which has now reached 5,000 in Jerusalem. It's growing exponentially. Why? Because they see the power and the courage and the conviction of those who had been with Jesus all along. 5,000. Next day, leading members of the council come together. By what power and whose name have you done this thing? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's filling. The purpose, power. Power to be bold, power to be courageous, power to speak with conviction. And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, spoke to them. Leaders, the people and elders, if we're being called into question today over a matter of kindness done to a helpless man, as to how he was healed, it's high time all of you and all of the people of Israel know it was done in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And then, I don't know if he paused and he thought about it or he just jumped off a cliff. He is the one whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, and it is by his power that this man is at our side and stands perfectly well in your presence. Like, this is drama. This is worthy of about a Netflix 10 10 series right here because this this is the dramatic moment. This could be for Peter and John, you're going to prison the rest of your life. It could be we're going to go to the Roman authorities and you're going to be crucified like Jesus. Or it could be he starts to flip their world upside down. And though history doesn't record it exactly, I have a feeling this was the beginning of knowing Jesus for a bunch of people who were scribes and in the Sanhedrin who were Sadducees, who, by the way, the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. So when they talked about Jesus is alive, the Sadducees, the liberal theologians of the day, kind of had the political power. They were outraged. No, dead is dead. There's no eternal life. There's no heaven. There's no hell. You live, you die. That's a Sadducee. And here's Peter 
And John, proclaiming not only did he die for our sins, he rose and he's alive today as he is alive today, speaking today to us. Not just through his historical word, that is true, but through his word expressed in the wisdom of the people gathered, also in the quiet whisper or the raging thunder of the Holy Spirit, which speaks directly into our lives now. That is a voice to attend to. When they saw the complete assurance of Peter and John, who were obviously uneducated and untrained men, they were staggered. All right. There's no way for us to get the full drama of this. The uneducated fisherman hicks, untrained, probably poorly dressed, have no degrees, they, they, they have nothing that a society would esteem of how they would speak powerfully to the most powerful, most educated of their city. But who was staggered? The powerful are staggered. Because it's rare to meet someone that speaks with that kind of conviction, regardless of whether they are trained or untrained. And then this sentence, which just jumps off the page. They recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. And this, by the way, is the thread which holds the power and the courage, and the conviction all together. Those are woven throughout. But, but what's the source of their power? What's the source of their conviction? What's, what's the source of their courage? I mean, this is pretty spectacular. Well, the source of their courage is not their education or their training. Uh, it's not their reputation in the community. It's not that they would be perceived as men who had power. Their power comes from the fact that they had been with Jesus. And I would propose to you, that's where all power comes from. That's where all courage comes from. That that is where all conviction comes from. So if you want power in your life, and you want courage in your life, and you want conviction in your life, be with Jesus. Be with Jesus. Be with Jesus. Well, how old do you need to be uh, when that stops being true? Uh, One minute after your last heartbeat, because then you'll actually be with him. But along the way, our relationship with him is an ongoing, living, breathing organism called my relationship with Jesus Christ. And by the way, in community, our relationship with Jesus Christ. Would we be recognized as those who have been with Jesus. Would you be recognized as those who have been with Jesus? And that's a daily thing. That is his word. That is prayer. That is worship. That is silence and solitude. That is turning off the phone and turning off the noise and listening to the Holy Spirit speak. I I don't know if you ever do this, but please, I, I, I love it that we allow space at Redemption Peoria for silence. But silence isn't silence for the heck of it. Silence is for listening. And believe me, if you will attend to this, he will speak. He will tell you, you're my beloved. I'm with you. You're my son. You're my daughter. I have a mission for you. I have a hope for you. 
I have forgiveness not only for you, but for you to be able to pronounce that in good news to others. He's endeavoring to make a people who are powerful and courageous and share deep convictions because we have been with Jesus. And if you're brand new to Jesus, that's true for you. Uh, For me, 1969 until today, today is the day for me to be with Jesus because that's the life that I want to live. I want to love life in such a way that the world goes, what makes him tick? When my friend got up and shared this at that first Young Life Club, uh, after he got done reading out of the cookbook, it was all about Jesus. And I actually remember most of the things that he said. And in case you think I have a great memory, I cannot tell you what I did yesterday. And I remember thinking, well, I don't believe that. That's, that's Santa Claus Easter Bunny stuff. But I could tell that he believes it. And I want to know more because I, I can't believe a smart guy like that would believe something like that. And I can tell he believes it. You know why? Because he'd been with Jesus. And I was absolutely attracted to that. I go, I, I don't have that. He, he, he believes this Bible, and he has a friend named Jesus who is with him. And I got neither of those things. So will you be recognized as someone who's been with Jesus? Then it goes on, the drama. Whether it is right in the eyes of God for us to listen to what you say rather than what he said, you must decide. Because they said, all right, go on your way. We're not going to crucify you. We're not going to put you in prison. But just stop talking about Jesus. Okay, another dramatic moment where there's a right in the eyes of God for us to listen to what you say rather than what he says, you must decide. So it's interesting to me. They don't say, hey, no fair. You can't put us in prison for this. It's my right. He just goes, you decide. Whoa. Okay, now that's powerful. That's flipping up all of the value system completely upside down. For we cannot help speaking about what we have actually seen and heard. So here's the thing about living as a person who's been with Jesus. Um, The most powerful witness, if you will, which is our mission, the mission of God in us, the, the most powerful witness is you've been with Jesus and you're recognized whether trained or untrained, as speaking with his power. And you're kind of willing, whatever it costs, doesn't matter. You, you decide. But we have to speak about that which we have seen and heard. We must. We are compelled. We saw him on the cross. We listened to him in the resurrection. We, we, my gosh, we had bread and fish with him near the fire. We, we can't do this daily, regular life with Jesus. I'll just end with this. One of my favorite Young Life clubs is in Vietnam. It's illegal to have a gathering of teenagers where you talk about Jesus. So we have other vehicles. We have soccer leagues. We have an English as a second language 
uh, class. We have some computer classrooms that are these Vietnamese young life leaders that, that are reaching kids for Christ and helping them grow in their faith, and they run soccer camps outside of town. I mean, it's, it's awesome, but the local police come and they tell Alex, who's a very powerful national leader, they tell her that, uh, hey, Alex, you, you can't have any more Young Life clubs. They were worried uh, that they're doing something illegal, and they, they, were, they threatened to put her in jail. And we get this little email trail of, uh, uh, hey, you know, possibly could get arrested when we're doing a Young Life Club next week. And, you know, I'm in charge of this. And I don't really want her to get arrested. That, that really would, I, we don't need that, okay? But fortunately, no one listens to me. So she went ahead and planned to have a Young Life Club. But here's what they did. This is just so cool. They said, all right, well, we're going to have a birthday cake at this Young Life Club. And so when the police come in and go, hey, uh, what are you doing? We'll get the cake out, and we'll go, uh, it's Marty's birthday. We're having a birthday party. Happy birthday to you. Okay, isn't that cool, the creativity and the courage? Keep going with the Young Life Club. And now what, ha- what has happened uh, uh, all over the, uh, uh, Ho Chi Minh City is um, every Young Life Club is a birthday party. And they do it. I didn't do all the same stuff. It's just that they got to make sure they have a cake, and there's a baker in the city that heard about this. They ma- she makes the cakes for us. And then the coolest part of this, surprise from the Holy Spirit, is birthdays are really under-celebrated in impoverished Vietnam. And so a lot of times kids are having their birth- birthday party ever at a Young Life Club where Jesus is being proclaimed. And they have a birthday cake, and they share it with their friends and they are celebrated as if they are a daughter or son of the king. And I would commend to you, for your world, figure out the birthday cake. In your family, in your place of work, where you go to school, in your neighborhood, bring a birthday cake with you that ends up celebrating someone and pointing them toward life in Jesus Christ. The power, the courage, the conviction to live as his army of people loving and serving in a broken and hurting world. We don't want to miss out. I'm 62. I I hope God gives me 25 more years. Retirement sounds silly to me. I can't imagine wanting to do that. I want to be involved in God, bringing about kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. I know that you do too, because we are made for that. That, that That is how he wired us. And so don't settle. Be those who are with Jesus and speak of that which you have seen and heard and bring a way to proclaim that good news to the broken and hurting world around you. It's It's everywhere. And it needs him. Now we're going to take some time to be silent, to attend to the Lord, and all I would say is listen. Maybe something that was said, maybe something was said before you got here, maybe a prayer, maybe the 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 word read, maybe a song. But listen to the Lord. And those who are wisest always, always, always. Do what he tells you to do. But let's listen in silence to the Lord.